Welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 86, Video Marketing with Michael Racis. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Here on the Filming with Josh podcast, we talk about all things video, from storyboarding and script writing to how to price your work and even video contracts with attorneys. We talk about it all on this podcast, so thanks for listening in. We also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh, so be sure to go to Facebook, go to the search bar on Facebook, and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is a private group where you can come and post videos, ask for feedback, ask questions, and participate in conversations that have to do about video. So I look forward to seeing you there. It is now 3.15 p.m., which means it is safe to record this podcast because I have my friend Michael Racis with me who just informed me that we could not start at 3.13 because it's bad luck. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing very uh, well. Thank you for having me, and thank you for starting two minutes later than it would have been bad luck if we started. Yeah, this whole thing, what would have happened is I guess I would have gone home and the files would have been like corrupted or deleted or something. I'm glad I could help you avoid that. I'm glad you could too. (laughs) So Michael is with Blueprint Brand Advisors. He's the founder and brand and marketing strategist, which is a mouthful. So Michael, thanks for coming on today. And we're going to dive into this podcast talking about your company and projects we've done together in the past. You and I have worked a lot um, with a, with another company that you were formerly with doing um, all kinds of different video projects. Um, but I want to know you a little bit more. So today, tell me and all of our listeners a little bit more about who you are, what your background is, where you come from. Just tell us about you. Okay. So first off, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to be here. So I started my career um, a little while back uh, at large uh, global marketing agencies uh, based in New York. So my clients were like MasterCard and JP Morgan. Intel, small companies. Yeah, small companies like that and uh, Chase Bank. Uh, I moved to Austin to work at a, a large agency in Austin and continued, you know, working with big uh, multinational uh, clients. A little while into that, I got offered a job at an electric energy utility. It was quite different um, from what I had been doing, but it was really interesting. One, how the company, um, you know, is basically vital uh, to infrastructure, vital to life in the community, really the underpinning of um, commerce and industry in the community. So I took that job. I worked there for about nine years. Uh, that started my interest in different areas of infrastructure. And then I worked with an AEC firm, an architecture engineering and construction firm. And I was the head of marketing uh, for about four years uh, there. And again, it just extended my interest in um, uh, infrastructure uh, and in those types of businesses. So you said that it was a little different than what you had done in the past. Can you tell us why? Well, it was moving from the to the client side from an agency side. More of a business to business side? Well, you you know, some of it was business to business. The uh, electric utility industry was business to consumer, but you know, in the past at an agency, you're working for the agency and you have clients. You could Mm. have three clients at the time, you're doing really a specified scope of work for them. When you move to the corporate side, and you, you know, so when I moved to the electric, a utility, I worked my way up. I was part of the um, 
executive team uh, there. You get much more deeply involved in the culture of the organization, the policies uh, that the organization is going to have, in addition to defining um, you know, how it's going to go to market from a marketing standpoint, but all the different points of communication, both internally and externally. Uh, you, you know, I started to take control of all those. So it was a bit different in that capacity. Yeah, sure. And you're, you're like now completely focused or at that time you were on just one business rather than having several clients, which means they're getting your full focus. Well, that's it. You, you know, so you get for the full focus of, um, you, you know, when you're on the client side, it's, um, you, you know, you don't have multiple, I mean, when you're on the, um, yeah, when you're on the client side, you don't have multiple different clients you're working with, but it's a deeper dive into every aspect of communications and, and marketing and the reputation of the company than it generally is when you're working at an agency where it's more, usually, it's more about, um, you, you know, marketing that agency uh, or, or that company to a specific target audience and really much more focused on driving sales. Now you do that when you're running a marketing department, but there's also internal communications. There's also employer branding. It's a much, you know, kind of richer uh, and, and deeper dive into the reputation of the company. Rather than, yeah, just like the face of a product, for example. Exactly. So when you, um, when you kind of made that shift, uh, um, and this is a question that I've actually had people ask me before, so I'm going to ask you this, but when you're working with a company, a rather large company that has its own internal marketing team, did you guys still work with marketing agencies externally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at, at both companies, at the AEC firm I did and at the uh, electric utility I did, you know, we had strong and really good internal marketing communications. But we also worked with experts outside, you know, in both in both of those instances, I was not brought up. Well, part of my, um, uh, you know, part of the charge that I was giving was rebranding those companies. I think it's difficult sometimes for people who work in house to continue to do the day to day work they need to do and completely rebrand a company utilizing a fresh perspective. So there's a lot of times I'll go outside of the uh, in-house team when I'm working on a big rebranding project. Now, the in-house team will engage with that outside agency. They'll learn all the research. They'll learn how we're going to position this brand. They'll learn how we're going to have a different communications and sure. messaging strategy because we're going to pick up and do that. But having that outside perspective um, and not having any of the baggage of any of the internal you know, politics really helps in getting, you know, a fresh view of who your company is to the audiences and a, a really fresh perspective on how you can go to market. So I will work with outside, um, you know, agencies uh, to do rebranding projects. Eventually the work gets turned over. My inside teams would take over and pick up and do that. And I also work with outside specialists, you know, so that can be anything from people who know how to do real deep dives into SEO and search engine optimization. And that's all that they do. And they have a really deep perspective on that. And then I go to outside for creative uh, sources. I have used some outside designers. You know, you and I started working together um, because, you know, videographers and photographers that are professional trained and really good at what they do make a big difference in the end creative product. 
Yeah, probably like website development and graphics as well too, I'm assuming. Yeah, so uh, a lot of times we can. When I've developed new websites, um, you know, while working at a in-house at a company, I've used um, outside web development companies. Uh, one is a lot of times you don't have people that are focused on like coding and building websites. Sure. You know, the technical design part of it uh, in-house. And you want to have experts, people who do like, you know, their companies have built hundreds of websites. They <laughs> yeah. build 15 websites a year. They know, you know, specifically what they're, you know, doing. And you're guiding them with your marketing objectives and your objectives with what you want to come out of with, with your website um, or any of your, you know, marketing objectives that you want to have reflected digitally. Same is true with video, too. I mean, I, when you guys hired me for video work, I didn't just like show up with a camera and just film whatever I felt like. Like you guys were guiding me the whole way. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the first projects that uh, we worked on was a, a brand film. And we were reintroducing a brand that had been around for 24 years, but had gone through enough changes that it needed to be reintroduced to its audience. And we were working on a brand film. We had specific objectives in mind for how do we want that to look? How do we want it to feel? And what do we want the core messaging to be? What do we want the takeaway to be from that? Now, we know those things, but bringing them to life, you, you know, and having it look and feel um, at the professional level that we want that to be, that's something that most companies I don't think can do in-house. They need to hire a specialist to do that and they need to partner pretty closely uh, with that person in order to be able to, to give a brief and give direction uh, to that person and then let them take their creative expertise and talk to you and then bring that to life for you. Yeah, I've worked with companies that don't really want to take the time to deal with it. They just want to cut a check and have a video made. But to me, if you want it to be effective and successful, you can't really do that. You have to be heavily involved. That's one thing I loved about working with you and your team was that you guys, in every project we did, you were extremely involved. So I always knew what the objective was, what we were trying to accomplish, even down to like what the target time limits of videos were. And it really helped me to make sure that whatever I delivered was what you were wanting. And, and if it wasn't, you could help me figure out how to change, make changes to make sure it landed where you needed it to be. Yeah. So like all of, uh, all of the, you, you know, all of the marketing executions, no matter what I'm working on or a team that I'm working on, there's going to be a specific objective for it. There's a strategy that we're trying to do. Um, you, you know, for example, we worked on a, um, a, a series of videos that had to do with uh, innovative products and services that were in the AEC, in the architecture, engineering, and construction uh, business. Now, that's a, a, a focused uh, series that we did to differentiate a brand in the marketplace. Now, all of those were hitting on technology as a differentiator. And um, it makes the brand, it makes the company stand out for that one aspect um, you, you know, in, in the marketplace. And the reason we didn't make one video and then move on is because when you make these videos, there's a depth of, I think, that like an engineering audience wants to understand. 
They want to know a little bit more than a broad selling message. They want to see how things kind how things kind of work. So we did a series that was on the same theme, but featured different technologies, but also looked and felt the same. It had the same introduction. It had the same outro. They all have a call to action to go to the website. We're going to measure the click-through rate <laughs> of those uh, of those videos afterwards. So the graphics were the same, essentially. Yeah, they all came from the same company, and so the net takeaway that you have from that is this company is deeply involved in you, you know the technological aspect of this business. They have multiple uh, different ways that they can demonstrate that, but since it all feels of a whole, and it's coming from the same company. It's a very corporate, um, you, you know. I mean that in a positive way. It's a very holistic feeling about the company versus a, a one-off. Oh, here's this one technology. No, there, there's multiple technologies. There's multiple ways to express it, but it's on the, the umbrella of one campaign, you know, that we did. And it had um, by having them also. I mean, in my opinion, it kind, they kind of felt very similar to like the brand film, for example. They still had a similar look and feel. So to me, there was this consistency on the website from the brand film down to the more individual technology, technology videos that allowed everything to feel to feel at a certain level with a certain look with the same graphics. So everything had a very consistent approach. And I feel like that really made the website look and feel very professional. Yeah, and I, I thought that the, you, you know, one of the things that, that you did on that too was, you, you know, we featured people that worked at the company, right? And I think it gives the sense of authenticity that, you, you know, when you see a video about a technology or if you see a video about a service and you're interested in that service and you start to call and then the person who's featured in that video that was telling you about it is one of the people that will show up at a meeting and talk to you more about that, you know, they're infused in, in what it is and there's an authenticity uh, to that. There's also an authenticity, you, you know, and, and you have to work your way around it a little bit because you want to have real people uh, showing what they really do in these videos. Uh, the downside is those real people usually aren't actors. No, they're not. You know? <laughs> and that's a bit yeah. of a stretch. So, you know, one of the things we did in that was we wanted to have their their authentic, authenticity shown visually and also in their voice. So they did the VOs, but we didn't do the VO on camera. We did a separate read. Mm -hmm. And that way, it's not like it, you know, because it's tough to give a really good read to camera when you don't do that for a living. 100%. So we would have them just do a recording and then, you know, that VO was over the video. And it sounded and it looked really natural and authentic. And it wasn't like, um, it, it comes off less as like salesy and more of a, I'm trying to share with you one of these interesting things, you know, that we do. Um, and I think that's what people are looking for. I think that, you, you know, engineering audiences, technical audiences, B2B audiences, they're looking to solve a problem, you, you know, and they want to watch a video or read a blog or do something that takes them closer to letting them know that they might have a partner in a firm that's helping them solve a problem. And that's why I think like, you know, the authenticity and the genuineness and real information about what you do needs to be in the video. And that's how the, you know, B2B and 
and marketing in the AEC world can be a little different from what you're going to see in 30 seconds on a broadcast spot. Sure. In the brand video we did, it was voiceover driven and, and we went through a process to figure out who the VO artist was going to be and we had some auditions and things. But I feel like that was completely different because that's an overview of the company. Yeah. You're trying to show a polished look of what you guys do. But the individual tech videos, by giving by giving employees the opportunity to speak on the tech that they use every single day in the field, I feel, like you say, does give an authenticity. Um, and from a, a marketing perspective, it, it's kind of nice sometimes for everything not to feel as polished, if that makes sense. Sometimes you can be so over the top with trying to be too polished that it, it takes away from the realness of it. And I feel like we did a pretty good job of like, we scripted, like the VOs were all scripted and they went through a process of like getting approved. We didn't just like sit down and tell them to say something on a whim. Um, but so we gave it a lot of thought, but we but we let real people say it in their real voice. And I, I think that definitely went a long way. Yeah. And I think, you, you know, you talk about like the, the scripting of it. It's, you, you know, some of the, in the AEC industry, those subject matter experts and people that are interacting directly with clients, quite often those are going to be the people that understand what's the most pertinent, relevant uh, information uh, about a technology, about a product, about a service to that end audience, you know? So we'll take all that information and then our job is to start to craft it into like a minute. But there's a lot of back and forth between the Marcom department, and that should be this way, between the Marcom department and the SME to make sure that it's all, that the, that that Marcom is getting it right and that they're really comfortable with the way they're saying that because they're the expert in that technology. You, you know. Yeah, Marcom isn't. No, you, you, you aren't. And if you work in a large, diversified, um, you know, AEC organization that has, you, you know, 10, 10 core different services, each with, you, you know, eight different sub-services and then multiple different markets and they have slightly different, um, you, you know, needs from your firm you have to rely on, you know, the relationship with those SMEs. And I think from a Marcom standpoint, you're trying to keep the theme the same. You're trying to keep the company on brand, on message, on target. Uh, and you can do that with different messaging underneath it to specific audiences. It just needs to be tailored to that audience. It needs to be tailored as if it's coming from that SME. It just needs to fit in with the overall brand theme that you have moving forward. Yeah, I definitely feel so. And I was involved in some of those conversations when we were kind of like, we kind of knew what we wanted to say, but maybe we didn't even know like the name of a technology. And so there was some back and forth discussion to make, we make sure we had that right. Cause we wanted, we wanted it to be correct, but we also wanted it to be within like a certain time frame and on theme. So it was definitely a collaborative approach to pull that off. Yeah, I think that, um, you, you know, I think when you're marketing, um, you know, products or services in the AEC industry, it's certainly a collaborative effort. I think that goes for video. I think it goes for doing, you know, a good thought leadership blog post. Um, it's going to do for a good white paper. All of those things are really bringing, you, you know, the expertise uh, to the forefront and marketing's uh, role in that is making sure, you know, like I talked about, that you're on brand, making sure that it's compelling, making sure that it's well-crafted and it flows 
um, and is uh, engaging, and then reaching the right audience, you know, through the right communication vehicle at the right time. Absolutely. I want to bring this back to your current business, Blueprint Brand Advisors. So you and I, when we worked together, we went on all kinds of different projects. I mean, we shot in several different states and we always kind of joked that sometimes it was like you, me and a camera because we were <laughs> we were doing a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. Um, but we've stayed in contact and now you are, are starting this new company. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so the name is uh, Blueprint Brand Advisors and Blueprint's going to focus on providing fractional market leadership to middle market AEC firms and infrastructure companies and utilities, those companies that are working in what's called the built environment. So, you know, essentially I work like a, a fractional CMO to clients in those industries, uh, partner with their executive teams, bring strategic insight and leadership to the marketing function there. So, I mean, some of the things that I do is oversee brand research, competitive analysis, develop brand positioning, um, develop new brand identities, you know, logos, graphics, fonts, those kind of things, build websites, web strategy and, and messaging strategy. And pretty importantly, I think in this industry, thought leadership programs. So that's the, um, that's the focus for uh, Blueprint. So tell me a little bit about um, the the research side of it. That's something we haven't talked much about on this podcast before. But there's a lot of research that you do in order to figure out the best position or the or the best way to give advice to a, a, a company about a marketing approach. Can you walk us through like what that research looks like, what you're looking for, those kind of things? Yeah, I think so. I'll certainly try. Um, you, you know, and it really depends upon the, the client challenge or, or the company challenge that you're facing. I think that, you, you know, uh, a lot of um, AEC firms have, um, you, you know, traditionally gotten new business uh, from business development, from referrals and from, you know, word of mouth. And in the AEC, in in the AEC industry, excuse me, like a lot of B2B, more and more of the buyer journey is starting to happen digitally, right? So even a referred prospect, you know, 85% of a referred prospect is going to go to your website and, and look at your website. You know, something like 70% of people are gonna check out your social media. They're going to form an opinion about who you are and can you help them solve that problem before they even uh, speak with you, you know? So understanding that, you know, your question was about research. It's, you, you know, what is our brand, you know, positioning going to be? What are the elements of our company that we need to uphold and put to the forefront? So when I talk about brand positioning, I'm talking about what do you want people to think and feel when they say, when they think about your company, what do you want them to think? I can answer that question. Yeah. If, when I, I know for me, when, when people think about my business, I don't, I don't want them to think of me as just some guy with a camera. I want them to think of my company as a company that focuses on commercial and corporate work. Yeah, That's primarily it. And we do some other things like some doc work and, mm -hmm. and events and live streaming, but my primary focus is, uh, commercial and corporate work. Yeah. And so I, I, that's how I want to be thought of. So if I was to work with someone like you, I'm assuming your research would be like trying to figure out how to take that 
piece of information from me and get it to the right people. Yeah, so I would start to look at, you know, what differentiates you, right? You, you know, so who's your target audience? And what are your key differentiators? You, you know, most firms that I know, AEC-wise, probably have three to five things that actually differentiate them. But those are the things that you need to be highlighting, right? And then your brand position is the overall element of all those things together, right? Your overall brand position is when they say your brand company name, what do you want people to think? And that crosses over all services and it crosses over all markets, you know? Now, each service in each market can have a value proposition. It should report up to your overall brand position. What do you want people to think? In your case, when someone says Rustic River Media, so the research that I would be doing in that instance would be research with your current clients. You know, what does make you uh, stand out? And this will be with anyone. What makes you stand out in the marketplace? Why do they select you? Why don't they select you uh, for some projects? How do they feel about you versus your competitors and the competitive set? What are the trends that they're seeing uh, in the industry? What are the biggest issues that they're seeing? How is your company helping them solve the biggest issues there? So you can get to a lot of that stuff through brand research. You develop a core brand positioning with those differentiators, and then it gives you a structure for ongoing communications. When you have a brand positioning and say, you know, three differentiators, let's say, because we've been talking about technology, let's say one of them is we have better technology or we, we have proprietary technologies, then you can make multiple different, there's multiple different ways to promote your technological difference. You can do a series of videos like I did. You can do uh, blog posts with specific technologies. How did they solve the client issue? When you win a new contract and it's because you use technology, make sure you highlight that there. So you can take those themes and you can use them through multiple different communication channels in multiple different ways, but you're staying on brand. You're still differentiating your company based on that theme. When you don't do that and you start to kind of, you know, what we call spray and pray, you're just multiple messages to multiple different audiences. They don't tie together. Then your overall brand image becomes, you know, watered down. It becomes weak because there's a lot of people making a lot of noise when you're consistent behind you know brand strategic themes you start to differentiate your company and you make it stand out based on the things that are most relevant and compelling to them and based on the things that actually differentiate you in the marketplace yeah and then i'm assuming you know when someone the overall goal is that when someone thinks of a certain need in whatever that industry is if they know who you are and that you are a leader in there in that in that field they will know to call you because they know that you have had, they've seen your strategic planned marketing approach. Yeah. And, and so like, you, you know, you get known <clears throat> for, you, you know, particular things. Now, you, you know, it's interesting. AEC industry, there's a, a long sales cycle, meaning from the point when someone knows who you are, considers you for a project, mm. goes through the RFP process if they need to do that and select someone. It can be a long time, sure. you, you know, and but and in the AC industry, nobody is ever going to 
I shouldn't say nobody ever, but it's highly unlikely that someone's going to see your web presence or see a social post and say, that's the company for me. Sure. They're going to want to talk with your subject matter experts. They're going to need to talk with uh, some of your business development people, and you're going to have to put together a proposal specifically for them. So you won't win a contract based on your marketing communications. The thing is, is you can lose a contract before you even know someone's looking at you, right? So referred prospects, when someone refers a prospect to you, I mentioned before, people go and look at your website. They go and they'll look at your social. You know, research shows that I think there's, it's about 30% of a referred prospect will, um, will rule out a company because their website was unimpressive. About 25% will rule out a company because they have poor quality on their website. Uh, One in five will rule out a company because they look like they weren't in the client's league. So, you you know, you have companies that have been referred to you as an AEC firm, and you may never know they were referred to you, they were considering you, but they're looking at that... um, communication that you have. They're looking for how can you solve their problem? Do you work on the professional level that they expect to? Do you have case studies that are relevant um, and meaningful uh, to them? You know, do you have contracts awarded that are in that area that they go, wow, okay, so they're winning business in this area. Those kind of things, I think, help you make the the next step in that uh, customer journey where then they're reaching out, then they want to talk to someone, then it's getting turned over to the BD people. So on those statistics you just, you just named, there were some other ones you named a little while ago where I think you said, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was 80% of customers, potential customers go to a website. And I think you said 70% check out their social. Yeah. What do you think they're looking for on both the website and the social? You just named that a few things like making sure they're they're in in their league and things like that but more specifically like what would turn them off or what would make them interested um i, I think the things that make them interested is one is like you, you know uh, uh, a professional uh, presence i think they're looking to see if you do work in their industry i think if they're looking to see if you um are offering the specific services that they're looking for. But those are sort of the table stakes of those. So now you're in their industry and now you offer those services. You know, what is the case study that you've done that shows that you use or that you've done something in a really innovative way to solve a client issue? Or what is your thought leadership content that shows you've got some of the smartest and brightest people in this particular area, people that they wanna talk to, they go, that is a really interesting take on how you solve this issue. And you have a whole bunch of people, you you know, a whole bunch of subject matter experts with content that's really interesting and compelling. And it's not a selling message. It's a message that says, we understand this industry and we do really innovative things to help solve client issues. I think that's what they're looking for. Um, I do think things that, uh, you you know, things that will turn them off or not having industry, Uh, knowledge. I think if you're, I I think a lot of the social, if you're selling more so than you're educating or bringing a new perspective to light, I think that can be a turnoff because I think engineering audiences are looking for insights. 
you know, they're looking for who can solve a problem that they have on a project or that they anticipate on a project. I also think that just, um, you, you know, in your area, uh, Josh, I think when people make videos, there's a certain expectation that you subconsciously have of professionalism. Here's yeah. why. You watch, you know, streaming services or TV. There's a certain production quality mm -hmm. that you always see, you know. It's not like watching a YouTube video. Yeah, it's not like watching a YouTube video and it's associated with, you know, professional companies. And then most industries have like AEC, you have some really high-end players, right? You have these multinational global firms that are making really well-crafted videos. <clears throat> and so I think you wanna have, you know, creative product. And this is whether it's your logo design, whether it's your pitch deck, you know, whether it's your brochures and whether it's your video, you wanna have them at a high level. And that puts you kind of in the game of um, these people do things at a sophisticated and meaningful level. And it's reflected in the work they do. They take the care to do this. I think as, I think one takeaway from that is a, a company that's maybe not quite as big as some of, their some of their competition, they could still get a part of the market by just having, a, in my opinion, a really great website with good messaging. And, and they could do some, some small things like have a blog with good photography that maybe talks about, like you said, how they solved a problem um, or have a video on how they solved a problem or maybe a video that highlights a specific um, technology that they use that they're subject matter experts in. And by just taking the time to have some of those pieces of content, they can make themselves or position themselves in a way where they can compete for larger projects against competition that might be a, a lar lot larger in size. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, <clears throat> like my focus with uh, Blueprint Brand Advisors is on middle market AUC firms, right? Because most of your really large uh, firms, they've got a a CMO, they've got a whole marketing department and that's for each business unit. They've sure. got branding people, like a whole branding team, you know, that works across, you know, all the different sectors, making sure that their brand stays uh, in line. Middle market firms, I think a lot of them have the same level of, you know, sophistication and processes. They have the same level of sophistication and uh, technologies. Might, maybe a lot of the same knowledge. That's what, yeah, I was about to say, and the same level of sophistication in people, you, you know, usually they're just more focused on a more niche area, you, you know, and that's why they're not as large. Um, so I do think that they can focus uh, from a marketing standpoint on utilizing, you, you know, compelling ways to go to market. Like you should have expert blogs, you should have videos, you, you know, you should have a strong search engine optimization plan. You should have strong SEO in place. You know, all those things are fundamental. And when it comes to designing your brand and how you look and feel, you need to look at those larger players because middle market firms often compete with those larger pl sure. players. They also partner with those larger players. So in two ways, one, when you're competing with them, you want to look like you're on the same level. Two, when you're partnering, you know, with them, you want them to feel like 
they're partnering with a firm that has the same level of procedural and technological and personnel sophistication as they have. You just have a specialty that they need for a particular project. Sure. And I think it can, I, I think that reflecting that in some of your marketing work, you know, and in some of your um, subject matter expertise, your thought leadership work, and goes a long way in, um, in, in changing and involving the perspectives that people might have on your company. Why would you think a company would not take the time to, to work with a company like yours or even in-house to, to work on their, their branding? Do you think there's anything, any particular reason? Is it cost? Is it they just don't want to put the time into it? What do you think holds people back? Um, you, you know, a couple things. I think one can be cost, you, you know, to hire a good videographer, to hire a good designer, uh, to hire a good web uh, agency um, does cost money. I think also that, you, you know, traditionally, and I mentioned this before, the AEC industry has been focused on, you, you know, uh, referrals, uh, personal relationships. Uh, but I, I do see that changing. I mean, I was just looking on some websites today and I saw some middle, you know, I call them middle market on the larger end of that new websites coming out. And I think that people are recognizing more and more that the buyer journey is happening, you know, digitally and people are being influenced by that. And there are things like webinars and white papers and ebooks and gated content that can provide insights to people before they're ready to, to talk with someone. So you brought up costs. I think cost is one issue. I think another issue has been that traditionally, you know, the AEC industry has worked uh, in a different way. And then the third thing is that I think marketers need to be able to tie, uh, you, you know, brand and marketing efforts to new leads. Um, to getting new business, to revenue, to sales. You know, I think that's the tie that needs to start to happen um, in a more strong, in a stronger way. It can be done. There's a lot of firms that are doing it. A lot of firms that, you know, use a, a, a marketing and a sales CRM seamlessly uh, can do that. You know, something like a HubSpot where you can see who visited the website? Did they download, you know, a white paper? Did they attend a webinar? Now are they talking to someone in BD and did they become a client? It's a long sales cycle, but those things can be done. And I think when you start to implement those and you see the line that's there, then um, you, like the direct, well, it's not always like immediate, but you start to see the line from increasing your overall uh, profile to more firms considering you, to more firms doing business with you. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I know that like, um, and, and maybe this is a bad judgment on my call, but I know when I'm, even myself, when I'm looking at potentially contacting agencies in this industry that I would like to do business with, and I'm not even a customer, but if I see a website that to me feels very dated, like it was done in the early 2000s, hasn't been updated in a long time. I don't see a list of um, projects that they're working on. Um, and there's really no prior video or photo branding at all. They could potentially be a great client for me, but I don't see it that way. I, I, I instantly just think they can't afford it. 
and I move on. So I can imagine how uh, an actual customer in their industry would feel even more so that way. Yeah, and I think it's one of the, the things that I think is a challenge for AEC firms, right? And it's that you need to have a consistent and fresh stream of content that comes out. And the content needs to be relevant and meaningful and of high quality. So if you're going to have a, let's say a thought leadership where you identify SMEs within your um, organization and you want them to blog or, or video blog on a regular basis, you, you know, you don't want that going cold. They need to commit to a schedule to get that done. The challenge for AC firms is a lot of those people are, they're billable. Anytime that they're not, <laughs> yeah. that they're working on this means that they are not, not billing a client for their time and that makes the firm money. Completely understood. You got to come up with a reasonable amount of time that they can do it and also develop a system for it. You know, a system that works for those people to develop it. But I think that there's an expectation when you go to uh, an AEC website that there's going to be some thought leadership content, some SMEs that are talking uh, in a new and different way uh, about a relevant and compelling topic for the audience. I think that people expect to see some of your uh, most recent client wins and why you won that. I think that, you know, case studies, uh, what we call case stories sometimes, are one of the most compelling ways that you can tell people what you've done to solve a client issue because you're not saying, hey, we do innovative things that solve client issues. You're showing them the actual thing that you did to do that and keeping those up to date and fresh. Um, there's some work to it, but it's important uh, for a company's reputation. I think especially if someone's going to go to like their social site and if the last time they did a like a case story like you mentioned was 2018 you know yeah. that's going to be an, a red flag yeah and there's a whole you, you know there's another element so there's you, you know there's the, there's another side of all the marketing um and, and people looking at websites and people looking at social is one of the biggest issues that the aec industry has is attracting and retaining new talent right and so you, you know, if you're a, a job seeker or you're thinking about going to a firm or a firm's recruiting you, and you're going to their website, you're checking out, you, you know, what are their most recent client wins? What is the perspective in my, in my area of expertise amongst the people that I'm going to join? Are these really forward and progressive looking people? If that's what I'm looking for, that I'm going to join the firm. Um, and that's in addition to, you, you know, developing, uh, employer branded focused, you know, programs in and of itself to draw, to, to pull people in. So I think there's multiple different kind of audiences, you know, that are looking, you, you know, um, for, for content and for information uh, from firms and, you know, their website and social are really the places that they get to find that. Let's talk about the employer branding side. So some of the the projects that we did were very employee focused. And I've done a, a little bit of that with some other companies, but you guys were, I mean, you, you really took a lot of pride in employer brand. <coughs> Can you kind of walk me through what you felt the importance of that was and then why you chose to do a lot of video with it? Yeah, I think the, um, I, well, 
the the importance uh, of it one is you, you know I, I think video in particular when it comes to employer branding uh, begins to get at the authenticity uh, of people because you're hearing from the employee you're hearing in their uh, voice and you know we talked earlier about you know, people being scripted and having mm. a script that's been reviewed and says specifically what you want it to say, right? Um, and that's usually that's usually the way to go. Um, but we've done two series of videos you and I have together where people are unscripted, you know. And so one uh, was uh, in, involved, you know, employees of a company talking about really one specific aspect or, or, or an area that made the company unique and why that mm. was compelling and why they wanted to, you know, why it was a great place to work for them. And I think, you know, in some of those campaigns, it's just showing multiple different stories and it's the volume of things that say, look, now, like we talked about the series before, now there's a series of people. Now, they're not all saying the same thing. Uh, they're under a theme, you know, the, and the theme might be, you, you know, I have latitude to explore new ways to create my career. Uh, the theme might be, I have colleagues that support me in, in, a, in a, you know, plethora of ways. But you have multiple people telling these stories and they're doing so in a really genuine way. You know, so that was one thing we did with employer branding. We've done a series, we did some video work together where we were... Um, interviewing the principals of acquired firms mm -hmm. at this firm. It's actually one of my favorite projects I, I'd done. Well, and that, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed that too. And that was really unscripted. And what we did with those uh, folks was we knew what the strategy was for that. There were certain things we wanted to talk about and, and what the company meant to, you, you know, because it's a huge decision if you're ever going to sell your firm to a company because all your employees are relying on your decision making to make their, you know, to make this change for the better. Yeah, like their livelihood in a lot yeah, of ways depends on it. Absolutely. So, you, you know, the the way that we did that was we interviewed the people who were now at this company but had been the former leaders, and we didn't have a script for them, but we did give them a topic to think about and just one topic, and we focused in on that topic, and in doing that. You, you know, they thought about it. They had better stories than anybody in Marcom could ever script because they were real yeah. and, and genuine and they just rang true and they came across in their genuine voice, you know? So we kept kind of probing while they were on camera and every once in a while they would say something and use a weird phrase or mispronounce something and we might cheat a little bit and go, Hey, that was so awesome. But when you said this sentence, you didn't say that word right. Can you say that again? When you said it, you were looking right at Michael the whole time. <laughs> so, so like, yeah. you, you know that. But what we ended up getting was uh, a real genuine, um, you, you know, a genuine reflection of why they were, um, why they were happy that they had, uh, you know, joined this other company, why they had sold their company. But you know, the video work for it was, it, it wasn't like really detailed. It was just really good. It was high quality. And the people talking came off as authentic. And I think in that particular instance, that was one of the main things that I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that we hit the topics, which we did head on. 
And I wanted to make sure that they came off as genuine because you had someone that was, you, you know, the same level as them looking to say, is this person giving me, um, you know, the company spiel? Or is this person telling me something that's it's really, from the heart? Yeah, it, it really feels, um, you know, genuine, like they care about that. And I think it came off as the uh, latter because I think it was. One of the things I loved about that project was, you know, from the outside, it's just some interviews. That that might be what people think when they when, when they hear us talk about it. But we we put a lot of effort into that. We had a lot of location scouting. I can personally remember going on like three different location scouts myself with um, some of your team members to to find the right spot because we filmed. I think it was eight different people, and people had traveled in to do this, not all from Texas. And so we wanted eight different looks. So we had to find a building big enough that we could have eight different locations that all were interesting and unique, that didn't have horrible sound, and that we could come in and light and things like that. So we we went on a, a lot of location scouts, ended up renting a building in Austin. It was the perfect building for it. And it was a long day. It was like a 14, 16 hour day. But I thought it looked incredible. I thought it sounded incredible. And then your work in making sure that the stories came out clear, concise, and authentic was perfect. And we were, I mean, those videos weren't very long. I mean, the interviews probably went 20 to 30 minutes a person, but the actual end runtime was probably two to three minutes. Yeah. And I think you're hitting on a, uh, a topic that, you, you know, business owners, uh, you know, people that run AEC firms should know about video is, you, you know, it's like putting on an event. <laughs> Everything is more detailed and more complicated then you believe that it's going to be for it to come off as right. And by the time you show up with a camera and you're ready to roll and lights, everything has to be right. So my, you, you know, you asked earlier, like, you know, what are things should people avoid? Get a professional to help you through. You can eventually learn potentially how to do videos in-house if you want to. Get a professional who has been through all these things before, who will help you through the questions that, you, you know- You, you may not even ask. know to ask. Yeah, you don't even know what to ask yet. I mean, I've, uh, I imagine that you've been hired, you've shown up and you've been on a location where you're like, oh my gosh, this is- This is a disaster. To, yeah, this is not going to look great. More times and than once. this person doesn't know that because how things appear on film is different then your eye generally mm. captures and you get accustomed to just seeing you, you know things in a way that's acceptable uh, to you but there's so many different aspects from you, you know what people wear to what's the sound going to be like what's the background going to be like to even like you, you know when we've done films when we've done videos understanding how many shots how many different shots you're going to need for a section of copy, you know? Like we wanna say this and we want this shot. And you're like, no, that goes on, that, that, that person's gonna be reading for a while. You're gonna need three shots, not one. So now we're thinking up, what are the other scenarios, you know, that we're going to film? To come off with a, um, you, you know, a, a professional uh, video that a mid-market AEC firm is proud of, I think it takes a, a good 
professional to do that and a lot of input and direction from the firm as to what it is they want to come out of with. What is the objective? What's going to make us feel like this was successful from a communication standpoint, from a message standpoint, and from a tone and a feel standpoint? We've been talking a lot on the podcast recently about the importance of pre-production and because in my field, you may not know this, but in my field, you'll see hundreds, if not thousands of YouTube videos, podcasts, written articles about gear, but people don't seem to talk a lot about the strategy part of video for some reason. I guess not as flashy as a new camera, but I've been talking a lot on the podcast about the importance of having a good plan and, and, and putting a lot of time into pre-production. And on every single project we've ever done together, there's always been a good plan and a, and a good amount of pre-production. We've had multiple meetings, if not in person, at least on a Zoom call. We've involved a lot of the different people that are going to be involved. We've location scouted. We've gotten an, a script or, or, or an idea approved through the depart various departments. I and mean, there's a lot that goes into it. What are your thoughts on pre-production and video quality? Well, I think, you, you know, I think in terms of, uh, you, you know, pre-production, I think when when you show up and you're ready to shoot, everything needs to be like ready to go. Yeah. You, you know, and so, you know, making sure that I, I mean, example, you go in and you want to shoot someone at their desk, you, you, you know, and it's just a quick shot. What does their office look like? You know, what is going to be on their screen? Is there a glare that's going to be completely annoying? Are they wearing glasses? Does that come back up? There's all kinds of different things to think. And, and maybe through. maybe they don't even, maybe it's something we want. Like, do we want to have a certificate of achievement or something yeah. in the background, you know? It's, well, you, you know, so AEC kind of things, right? What equipment are we going to have? Are we going to have someone on the set that, you know, regularly uses uh, the equipment? You, you know, what is the background going to be like? Um, you, you know, a lot of times we're trying to secure a work site, you know, to do those things, to make them real. So you got people, you got equipment, you got work sites. You have to know the safety side because we can't show anything that doesn't have like a hard hat or a safety yeah. vest or whatever. People have to have the proper uh, PPE. Yeah. A lot of times, you, you know, you're flying a drone. We have to do that in, in airspace that we're allowed to fly, mm -hmm. you, you know, drones. And so there's a lot of, you know, pre-planning that goes into, you, you know, those different things. And it just makes the whole the 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 production go a whole lot smoother you just don't want to get to the end of that and not have the not reach the objective that you wanted to because you didn't plan it out or you didn't think it through and it's hard to think that through if you don't do it a lot sure you, you know that's why i say work with a work with a professional work with experienced people doing this so you can think through all those different things that you, you know that you might not it's not your thing thinking about color palettes or lighting. I mean, you and I, like, we frustrate people because we say you have to get up at 6 a.m. We're going to be done shooting by 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. <laughs> then we're going to take this whole afternoon of flat light off and we're going to want to come back out <laughs> when the light starts to fade because it's just much better light. Yeah. But it makes the production look significantly better when you're when you when you have good light 
Yeah, you, you know, and people in, in film production, you know, that second nature to them. Yeah, we call it yeah. chasing light. Yeah, people in uh, other industries, that's new information to them. Yeah, I oftentimes tell customers, especially new customers, that you'll you'll hate me right now, but you'll love me later type of thing, because that's typically what it is. I'm, I feel like in video, you have to be, especially for my position, you have to be pretty demanding because I, I know for someone like myself, I know what I want and I know what it takes to get it. Um, and, and, and trying to get people to understand that and to get on board with that can be a challenge, but they usually always appreciate it in the end. But things like you mentioned, like, like most people would never think, for example, what is the, we, we call it reverb, but what is the essentially the echo in a room sound like that you're going to film an interview in? I mean, that could, could kill the whole interview before you ever even get started. So those are things that most people might not even think to think about. Yeah. And I think, you, you, you know, all those things, there's, you know, there's so many different types of videos uh, that you make, even in, you know, AEC industry. Sure. So you, you can do interviews, you're, you're doing brand films, you're doing explainer videos, you can do video um, case studies. Uh, but the other thing that I would you know, like suggest to people is once you start to like think about your brand and how you make those things consistent and live under one like umbrella, you, you know, think about like an intro and an outro. That's a, a consistent point. So when someone watches that video, they know that it's coming, you, you know, from your firm, you, you know, so it all holds together and together it has a bigger message about who you are and what you do than if it was completely separate and distinct elements. On the topic of pre-production, tell me about your thoughts and opinions on scripted versus unscripted video projects. It, it, it depends. For me, the, the idea of scripted versus unscripted, uh, it depends upon what the objective is. Um, for the most part, I'm going to lean towards scripted, even though we've done some unscripted things uh, before, but you need to be ex pretty experienced to go into unscripted. Um, the thing about scripting is you get exactly the wording that you want and wording can be, um, you, you know, very specific to an industry yet, you know, I mean, the, I haven't had it that much, but there's also sometimes legal implications sure. to things. You want to have, you know, your legal department review a script, make sure that it's accurate. Um, we have SMEs review scripts, make sure everything's accurate. And it's also the wording that, you, you know, the phraseology that people use in that particular, you, you know, vertical and that it's going to land somewhere. And so we don't want to get something that's you know, off that. Um, so for the most part, if you want to get specifically uh, what you want captured, uh, you're scripting that. I think you can go unscripted, you, you know, in interviews. I, I think you can go unscripted if you're just looking for a general sense of authenticity in the person. Um, and for the most part, I think that happens when you're talking to them about what they do and how they do it. And you're on a topic that they are really comfortable uh, with, and you'll just get richer. Um, you can get richer, uh, um, answers that way. You can get richer answers that way. Sometimes it takes longer. And, you know, you were talking a little bit about when we were doing something, you, you know, I, I, I've, I've happened to have done that a lot where you're working with someone and then you're asking them, 
you, you know, questions, but you get an idea of something else that they could say during the interview. Um, or you ask them to say something again, because, you know, whether it's, whether it's a photograph or whether it's a, a sound bite, if it's just a little off, it doesn't work. You know, yeah. so you want you'll you'll say, hey, can you say that? But instead of saying, you, you, you know, this one word, use this word because that's the word we use at the company. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, and then you get what you what you need. It could even be like how they say it too. If if someone says a, a sentence that's really good, but it doesn't sound even something as small as if it doesn't sound like the end of the sentence. You know, there I don't know. There's a lot. You have to think about. I feel like when I'm when I'm listening to an interview and when we work together, you're a lot of times asking the questions, but I'm right beside you and I'm kind of cutting the project. I'm editing it in my head and making sure that what we're getting is going to cut together and flow mm -hmm. together because we're taking bits and pieces of the interviews and we're stringing them together to make them say what we want to say when it's yeah. not scripted. And that can be challenging. But one of the things that I like about scripted when it comes to scripted versus non-scripted, as you mentioned, having multiple shots to fill up a time slot. Like I love it when we work on, together on scripted projects and I can read a section of dialogue from our script and know, okay, this is gonna take 15 seconds to get this section out. What shots are we gonna have to eat up 15 seconds so that we can plan that out? Because if we don't take the time to do that, we may we may be sticking like stock footage or something there because we don't have anything. Yeah, and what what are the shots that actually start to underscore the idea yep. that the person's talking about? You know, at the time. I definitely feel like I I personally like leaning towards scripted, but I do think there is definitely a place for unscripted as well for the authenticity that you mentioned. So I'm just going to ask you a broad question here, but why is and you've kind of covered it, you've kind of danced around it, but as a direct answer, in 2023, why is video important for companies? Uh, video has actually become the number one form of media used in content strategy. So video outranks blogs, uh, infographics, it outranks case studies, it outranks eBooks and white papers. It's become the number one uh, form of uh, video. Something like 96% of technical audiences, think engineers, watch video for work every week. Every week, every wow. Every week, yeah, you know. And I think the most of them, like 45% of them watch between an hour and five hours of videos for work. They are looking for this kind of content. Uh, in social media, um, video generates about 11 times more shares than text does. Um, and people who use video for marketing, 87% will say it increased traffic to their site. 80% will say it directly increased sales. So I think that you know people see it as a compelling and engaging um, medium, and that's why people are using it more. And in using it more, you need to use it better, mm. right? So you, you know that's you know those are some of the drivers uh, behind people using videos and the reasons that they should be using them. Another you, you know another factor is that video helps your SEO uh, in different ways. So if you have a video on your website, let's say you have an explain, let's say you have a video that's a minute long and someone goes to your website and watches it, the length of time that they spend watching that website, you, you know, helps your search engine optimization uh, as well. It helps your search rankings when people spend more time on your site, 
so, you, you know, that's just another element of it. The way that I see it is, you, you know, video is an integral element of what you, um, of what I would say a middle market AEC firm should be utilizing and can be utilizing cost effectively if they do it right. We've made a lot of videos. I would say we've done it really cost effectively. And a lot of times it's because we've decided that we're going to make five videos on a particular theme or topic. And then we find out how to cost effectively do that. And the cost per video has been worked within our budget and worked well every time. So I think there's smart ways uh, to use video. And I think that, um, you, you know, there's some statistics. I feel weird because I'm, I, I don't like, um, th there's some statistics that say people digest and are able to retain uh, information from videos at a significantly higher level. Interesting. Than if they read text. Really? Yeah. That's very fascinating. Well, I think, you, you know, you're there, you have sight, you have sound, you have motion, you have someone telling you and showing you share. a story. Uh, versus actually having to do the work yourself. And I, I mean, I read a lot. I like books. <laughs> I read things, but I, I think that might have something to do, um, you, you know, with the with the retention of information. Yeah, it definitely makes sense because I know, and maybe it's just me, but I've got so much going on that a lot of times when I'm reading, my mind wanders. But mm. I do know when I watch video, I feel a little bit more engaged. And I've, it's almost like I'm like I am retaining more information. So I, I guess now that I think about it, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that, um, you, you, you know, the number of videos watching the hours going up that we have to uh, also be cognizant of is people are watching it on their smaller screens, too. So they're watching video on their um, iPhones. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you, you know, for me, business to business marketer, AEC marketer, LinkedIn is like the the core platform. And I think something like 60 percent, 57 to 60 percent of content that's consumed on LinkedIn is done so from a cell phone. Okay. So when I think about videos, too, it's also like, hey, how's this going to look? You, you know, you start to think about those different formatting yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and sizes and how's it going to, you know, look on on um on a mobile on device. A small mobile device yeah, yeah so that actually leads me to my next question i was about to ask you uh, you mainly work with aec firms from that perspective is linkedin your primary platform for hosting the video content that that uh, companies within the aec industries consume or are you are you do you concern concern yourself much with youtube uh television marketing anything like that so you know not so much like broadcast marketing right and so yeah definitely linkedin um and there's uh, gosh i think there's 775 million people uh on linkedin Jeez. four out of five are decision makers um meaning that they make the buying decisions uh, on LinkedIn. I forget how many posts there are, but LinkedIn for me is the, um, is the business to business networking, uh, site. And, um, it's where businesses talk to businesses. So, uh, you, you know, that's a, a focal point, but then, you know, also what you do with, um, with video on your site, you, you know, like when people visit your site, having, you, you know, rich choices, in video 
that are relevant to the specific things that they're um, looking for. I think there's almost an expectation that there will be compelling video in different areas on different pages uh, for AEC firms. Um, so I think, you, you know, and then you can have a YouTube channel for AEC firms as well. Um, but I think also it's reaching out to um, reaching out to people with your uh, with your video content, having that help bring them back to the site. And then when you're on LinkedIn, it's actually interesting because you can do embedded videos in LinkedIn. And that's where you're taking like a LinkedIn uh, or you're taking a, a video that you have posted on Vimeo or you have it on YouTube. And you're just basically putting the the link embed code, on, yeah, the embed code there. Or there's native video, and native videos uh, on LinkedIn get something like ten times more shares. That makes sense. Than they do uh, embedded. So a lot of times when we've done this, you know, we've done the native video, or, or companies I've worked with, we've done the native video because that is meant to be like the message. Now, generally when I'm doing a social post, I'm looking at click-through rates too. Are we bringing them back to the page for deeper information? But, you know, we focused, uh, or I focused a whole lot on using native video just because it gets more exposure and it gets more shares and engagement. When you use a native video, how are you able to get them to go from watching the video on LinkedIn to being driven back to the website? You, you know, the, the video needs to tell a story and there needs to be more of that story on the website. Right. So, you, you know, if it's a story about how you, how you, um, you, you know, are solving a particular client issue, it's probably not told all in that 60 seconds, you know, that you tell there needs to be more information uh, back on the website. Like a blog post or something? Yeah, there's a blog. Yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, I've done it where there's, you, you know, um, a particular topic. We've done a video. We've done a blog post. There's a landing page uh, for it. Um, you know, everything's really driving back to the landing page in a way. So, you know, the videos out on social go back to the landing page for much more detailed information, links and presentations. And are you putting the links yeah. in the actual post description? Say again. Are you putting the link to the website or, or to specific page in the post description? So when they're watching the yeah. video, there's a description. They can yeah, there's a description in the uh, in the social post and that'll include the, the, link. the link. Okay. Yeah. And then some of the videos that we've done, I'm trying to think if there's a, uh, I, I know that we did one series of videos where there's a link in the video actually as well. That okay. just shows the specific landing page. Got it. So... I have two questions. I'll, I'll lead with this one first. What, what in your mind is the target time length for a video on LinkedIn? And then two, I want you to tell me a little bit more about how you can measure the success of a video. Because it's, it's one thing to have a video and be proud of it or to think it hits the message that you're trying to get it to hit. But it's another to actually be able to measure the success. How do you go about measuring a video success? So that was like a 12 part question. <laughs> it was it was two. It was two. <laughs> How long a video should be really depends upon what the objective of the video is, right? So there's different specs that you have. A native video uh, on LinkedIn is going to be a minimum of a 3 seconds a maximum of 10 minutes. You, you know, someone said like um, 
old time ad guy said people people don't read ads they read things that are interesting you know and i think the same thing about video people don't watch videos they watch things that are interesting they sure. watch a video longer if it's actually interesting so i you, you know it depends if it's a hey we are offering a new service or we're you know um, a new product and go check it out here that's a shorter video than an explainer video that says look at this video case study because you've already gone past you know enough about this already you know that this exists now you're trying to see how we put this into action or something like that or, or so, maybe like a story of like how a company took took on a specific challenge in a project and how they tackled that yeah. challenge and completed it. That could be five yeah. or six minutes long. It can be. I mean, the videos that I've done uh, about an overview of technology have been anywhere from a minute and a half to just over uh, two minutes. I think they've flowed, you, you know, and sometimes that's going back and forth with the SME, like, oh, we've got to say this. And, you know, Marcom saying it's getting a little long. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, they've come out to a place where it's like all the information is pertinent and the story feels concise. We didn't, you, you, you know, there's nothing superfluous in there. And then they can go on and get more information from it. I think when you're making a video, what you need to realize is, Everything about that product or service doesn't have to be in the video. I totally agree. The video can be the thing that gives them, you know, one core idea about it and then takes them to the website to, the to learn more. That, that this is where, you know, you're interested and this is where you go to learn more. So, you, you know, and then also there are specs that are going to limit you. I think in the LinkedIn video ad specs, the maximum length is... Um, Gosh, I think it's like 30 minutes. So you can do longer form uh, kind of things. You just got to think, I'm not going to really capture someone's attention, uh, you know, for that long. Um, I tend to look at uh, a couple core metrics when you ask about, you know, measuring the success. Uh, the number of views, the engagement, um, the watch time, um, a, a little bit at like social shares and the engagement. I also look at clicks and click-through rates, right? So for just about any social media that I'm doing, I wanna make sure the message from that social gets across, but I'm looking at the click-through rate as well. Are they coming back to the site? Are they learning more? Is there a deeper, you know, a deeper communication or relationship that they're starting to look for with the company? Did that do its job? not just in communicating what it's meant to communicate, but did it get the you know, audience to engage a little deeper? Is there like a software that you use to do that or can you get that those metrics natively from sites like LinkedIn? You can get, a, you can get between like Google Analytics and, um, uh, and LinkedIn, you can get those, um, you can get the, uh, the metrics that you need. So LinkedIn will give you a click through rate you know, if you if you looked at LinkedIn, you'll get, you know, those um, you, you'll get those metrics that I talked about. And then from Google Analytics, what you also get is a referral rate. So you can see how many people are coming from your overall presence on LinkedIn and coming back to your site. Then you can start to maximize that. Right. So if you're looking at clicks that come through certain posts or clicks that come from videos, what I found in the past is like our metrics that some companies have gone off the charts when we've used video, you, you know, to do things just, you, you know, we'll use 
say twice the amount of money to promote it, but then end up getting like 10 times the amount of uh, impressions and 10 times the amount of engagement uh, out of it. So we do, you start to look at those things, your click-through rate, your referral rate, and then how do you maximize those things? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I guess a video doesn't have to necessarily lead to a accepted bid to necessarily be considered successful either. Like it, it, you don't have to sell something off of a video necessarily for it to be deemed successful. If if it still is getting driving traffic to your site, that could still be considered a success. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it is. I mean, in the in the AEC world, in the business to business world, if you have longer um, you, you know sales cycles, then what you're looking at really is you, you know are you, um, you you know are you moving on to the next? Did, did the video do its job to get someone to click through uh, to the website? You know, although there is evidence that shows that the utilization of video does help people who are selling things directly, it, it increases um, it increases sales on websites when you're using videos. I want to s- switch gears and ask you this: When you are looking to hire a videographer, video company, what are you looking for? I know whenever you guys started working with me, it was kind of an unorthodox way and long story and mm-hmm. how that happened, but. When you, in general, are looking to hire a company or a person to do video work, what are you looking for? I'm looking for someone um, who has done, it's helpful when you see the type of work that you think you're going to want, right? Doesn't necessarily need to be within the industry, but if you're shooting people for interviews, are you seeing some interviews uh, with people and are they good? Are they of high quality? You, you know, and um, you, you know, if you're shooting a brand film, does it resonate? Does it feel good? What decisions were made on music? What decisions were made on lighting? You, you know, um, so I think you're 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 looking at, you know, what is the person's portfolio uh, look like? Um, and I like to I like to then talk, you, you know, with the folks and find out what their approach is uh, to these things. Um, certain things help an enthusiasm level uh, for doing the the project. Uh, I think is uh, helpful. Um, flexibility, like you said, we came together and started working together in an unorthodox way. We worked on a project, um, you, you know, when we first started, and you were hired by an agency, um, you know, that I had hired, uh, and we worked on that one project, but. It was the way that you worked on that, and you, you know you were flexible in terms of we were shooting during uh, COVID at the time. We had I about that. Yeah, <laughs> we had sort of we had limitations. Uh, people were having a hard time traveling. We had to take advantage of sites while we could, mm-hmm. you know. And you were able to make the very best, and you made a really nice, uh, you know, brand video uh, from it. But it was in some challenging uh, times, you, you know, from a, um, you, you know, like a logistical standpoint. Yeah, logistical. And I, I think one of the things that I was impressed with is you got nice film. So at the end of the day, we had nice film. But it was also there were times where you and I would show up on a set somewhere and go, okay, we've got to figure this out, like really quickly. And this is the only day that we have this, and we did. You, you know, so I, I do think like flexibility and a good attitude. But, you, you know, I think within that it's 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 problem solving and it's problem solving 
yeah, you know, from you as a filmmaker, it's problem solving from a perspective that, you know, most of your clients just they're not going to have. They're not trained in that area. You know, how do I how do we how do we can't get this shot? What shot are we going to get that's going to do this? You, you know, that gun still accomplish that goal just yeah. as well in accomplishing the goal. So I think that there is an amount of, you know, flexibility and a good attitude. And I don't know that I've ever been on. Well, sometimes, but, you, you know, things don't always go exactly, you, you know, how you plan. Like when we drove shoot. like 10 hours round trip to get a shot, a single shot of a wind farm from a drone. And we had like 50 mile an hour winds when we I got there. It was so windy that day. And I guess that's why they put the wind farm there. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even fly the drone. We just sent it up there and let the wind blow it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think that there's... um. I don't. You're looking for someone who brings something uh, to the table, who's excited about the, the the project, who brings a unique perspective and uh, shares it, and you, you know um, wants to do the best work, but also wants to do that and have a good relationship with you uh, going through it. When you are approaching a video project with a client or with a company, how do you go about deciding? how long it should be, what the message is. Like, is that, is that a process where you just kind of work back and forth with the tech team or is it mainly just your idea and what you think and then you, you, you're pass that on to the client and let them know, here's what I recommend or are you kind of letting, getting their input? I just, I'm, I'm curious on the insight of the strategy on how you develop a plan for video. Um, you, you know, generally you have, video is a natural extension of your marketing and, and your communication and your content strategy, right? So what I'm looking at at the start is, you know, what are what are the core messages that we want to get at? What are the differentiators that we want to hit? And how are we going to do that? So, you know, we talked about, we'll talk about technology. We just did that. But it's like, a, you know, let's say that technology is your differentiator right? You're looking for the examples, what technologies that we use or what technological processes do we use that actually make us stand apart. So we're going to do a video, a series on those, right? And here's how I want them to look. I want them to look progressive and I want them to look advanced. Now, then you're talking about the people. Who are the people that deploy those technologies? Because a lot of times when you're doing it, you want to have the actual people that are using that because they're the they're, they're basically doing a demo of it. So you're finding the people and then you're finding the um, location. So you got your technology, you got your locations, you got your uh, people, you, you know, that do that. Uh, you know, I'll be talking to you about the particular shots that we think that we need to get. Uh, things that can make us stand out, things that people haven't thought about before, things that aren't typical shots, things that are compelling. How do we say this? How do we make it look um, different? So those are the kind of things that I'm looking through. But for the most part, I, you know, I want to make sure that we're aligned with a strategic objective. It's a form of communication that's meant to differentiate us and elevate us from our audience. And I think video does a really good job in doing that because beyond the, the word that's on the page, beyond the specific message, there's a tone and there's a feeling that comes with that. I mean, when we build, um, when I build brand style guidelines, 
there's photography and there's video guidelines in there for what we think we should look when we film inside. What should we look like when we film outside, whether that's still or video photography. And you can start to have a consistent look that actually builds and starts to differentiate, differentiate your firm as well. I also noticed in my time working with you, you've never, not that I can remember, I can't remember one single time that you've ever shown me an example of a video that you want to do something like, or that's given you inspiration or anything. It's always everything we've ever done has always been in a complete, completely original content. We've never watched, or at least maybe you have, and I haven't been a part of it. You can tell me, but I can't remember a single time where we ever watched a competing brand's video videos to get our ideas or our shots. Do you do much of that? I don't know. It sounds like that happens to you a bit. Like, do people come to you and say, oh, so-and-so is doing this? Yeah, they do. Uh, they'll come to me and they'll say, man, I really like this video. I want something similar, but I can't remember a single time you've ever had that conversation with me. We always just sit down and we just talk about what the concept no, should be I and we plan it, huh? <laughs> Well, it's probably because I don't want to do a video that's derivative of somebody else's <laughs> work. But I um, love that. But though. yeah, uh, no, because you, I mean, if you have a, a positioning and you have something that you want to be unique, you, you know, to who you are as a company, which most companies do, then you can go out and you can, you know, create that. I mean, there's all kinds of different sources that I look at for inspiration. There's all kinds of different film directors you, you know, that I love. Um, but like, I don't think it would be appropriate for everything I do to look like a Wes Anderson film, <laughs> although I would enjoy that. Um, but, you, you know, I think that it's, you, you're starting with a notion about a company and about a service and with particular people. And what should the, you, you know, when are we going to shoot this? What should the tone be? What's right for the company? And what's right for your company to stand out it generally is not, you, you know, somebody else is doing this. It's unique Let's to you. Let's do something like this. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to do that. I, I mean, I do competitive analysis to say this is where people stand. Sure. But I don't go, hey, they just made this video. Let's, let's do, do something this like them. It, it's because they're a different company. They can have a completely different positioning and yeah. approach and, and different objectives to what you're trying to do. Be true to yourself. Trust that you can, you, you know, uh, execute against, you, you know, the uh, against the objectives and the goals that you've set forth. Yeah, and I, you can have it and, and that you're confident in your unique voice in the marketplace. People should be chasing you. You shouldn't be chasing other people. Oh, I'm going I'm to hang that in my office. I love that. That's a good line. I just made it up. <laughs> I do feel like that is one thing I have noticed with you because a lot of clients will show me competition or videos from their competitors and and say, how can we do this but better? I get that all the time, but I, I never once have gotten that from you. It's always just been, everything's been completely original. What are we focused on, not as what somebody else focused on. And I really like that and appreciate that. I w before we wrap up here, I want to ask you a question on doing rebrands for companies, which in my mind, a rebrand means maybe new logo development, new color themes, new website, potentially a new approach to social media marketing, as well as video and photography. I wanted to ask you a little about the photography side of that, because we, with this whole conversation has been mainly about video, but 
what what do you think the role of photography is in a rebrand? So I think you're right on the you, you know the way that you were describing a rebranding, right? So brands can reposition themselves, which means they come up with a different positioning statement and they're going to message differently. But that's not always a complete rebrand. It doesn't mean the company looks completely different. When you completely rebrand your company, you're developing a new brand identity, uh, a new logo, uh, new graphics, uh, new style guidelines, usually new messaging, new way to go to market. You want people to think about you in a fresh new way, right? And that generally has to do with your company has changed significantly. Your competition might have changed uh, significantly. Technology has changed the marketplace and your customers have different expectations and you need to align with those. So, so those are some of the reasons for it. So, you, you know, the element of photography uh, in that, it can be video, it can be photography, is, you, you know, your visuals down to your graphics, if you have iconography, those are all recognizable elements of who you are as a company, right? And photography can be the same way. So photography, you, you know, if you use a certain style of photography and use it consistent, it can become, you, you know, associated closely with your firm. You know, you can use warm photography. You can use uh, opposite cool. You we use cool photography for your new website. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can use friendly. You can use more people. You can go to some place that's highly technological and everything looks precise and there's only equipment in it. You know, so photography can play a role, a strong role in your brand style. One of the things about that is it's working with a photographer, in your case, a videographer and photographer, who you can count on consistently, you know, because you can think people can copy a style or something like that. And to a certain extent, you can get, you know, similar photography. I like to establish relationships with photographers uh, and uh, videographers based on their style, based on their working relationship, and have them become really a part of the team uh, in the branding, when they start to understand your brand, what you're trying to accomplish, how photography plays a role in that, they they, they can really contribute more uh, to your marketing efforts. And it's a valuable part uh, of what you're doing as a brand. You're someone who's kind of in a hiring position. So when, when you are looking at bringing on or hiring in a company to do photography or video, would you rather work with two different companies or would you rather work with one company that handles both or does it matter? You know, I, um, I, I don't know necessarily that it matters. At the end of the day, I'm going to want to get the best photography and I'm going to want to get the best uh, video that I can get. Now, let's say that you have a videographer that's got a certain style that probably, that person's individual style probably translates Into between the mediums and it translates. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was asking. I didn't know if yeah. that was like a benefit there. I think it, I, I think it can be, you, you know, unless those two things are, you, you know, 
are, are somehow different. Unless your video is going to be doing something like, and your photography is for a different element. Let's say that you're doing video for broad brand messaging, but you're using photography for your product messaging, and it's really going to be product, not human-based. Got it. You could use very different people uh, for that. But at the end of the day, you want people that, you, you, you know, are the, get you the best end product. For yeah. That. It's real convenient. <laughs> what it happens do. to work with one person. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't always, sometimes it does. I know like for me, I, I can shoot the human element of photography, but I am not specialized in any way of shooting products. So like I would be the last person you want to hire yeah, there's, for that. There's like, I, I've worked with some really, spe like food photographers. Oh yeah. That's a whole thing that's in a, of itself. I mean, you've got, you've got, food photographers, food stylists, they have their own huge kitchens. Um, you, you know, it's kind of weird, you, you know, because you'll have a stand-in for the food and you're doing all the lighting. And then when you're ready to shoot, you bring in like the hero burger shot, you, you know? Oh, yeah. So there's, I, I actually, it brings up an interesting topic. I'm not sure that everyone recognizes how specialized marketing and creativity can be sure you know so it's not just like you know when you think about photographers there's different lifestyle photographers that look very different there's food photographers that just would not be shooting product photography that would not be shooting you, you know um wildlife photography portrait or wildlife yeah. stuff so there's very specified things in there and it extends beyond that you know there's certain people that build websites other people that are really good at building at, at SEO, other people that are good at social um, programs. You know, one of the things that I'm doing with Blueprint is I don't have, I don't want to have uh, a lot of staff. I want to be able to, and I have a network of all these really good specialists to just bring those people to the table and only bring the people that are appropriate to the table, um, you know, for clients. Um, might have segued a bit there. No, you're good. You also mentioned something too. In fact, we talked off podcast about this last week, but you briefly mentioned it a second ago. You mentioned building a relationship with a photographer or videographer. Why do you feel like that's important? Well, one is uh, I think when you build a relationship, when you share with them the objectives of what your campaigns are, their marketing objectives, a lot of them have experience where they've done different things and they can bring insights into it and add more um, from their experience than you could ask them for. That's one thing. Um, secondly, I think people just like to, you, you know, I like to have a feeling of connection between all these different things. Like Synergy. Time, yeah, and we all, we're all on the same page. We're all connected. We're all gonna do everything we can to get the best product. And, you, you know, when you talked about like having a good relationship, it's also, hey, I gotta flip this date for that one. You, you know, can you do that? And if it's possible doing those things, you know, there's a lot of flexibility that comes up and just feeling like you're all, you know, part of the same, you, you know, you, you've all got the same purpose when you go into a, a shoot for something and you want to come out with great stuff and that's what everyone's about. Um, that's, I think, where the relationship comes in, where when, when they're not just looking at you, um, as someone who who's paying for the shoot, they're looking at you as a, a partner that they want to work with uh, to get the best that they can do for this project. 
Yeah, and I think an important part of that relationship is is leadership. And that's one thing that I've noticed when working, not just with you, but anybody that I've ever worked with that has worked under you has talked about how you were one of the best leaders that they had ever had. Leadership is obviously a really important factor for you in the way that you conduct your business. Why is that? Um, uh, well, I, you spent a lot of time. Uh, with people at work, and it's their livelihood, um, and it's a really important part of their lives. I think a good team environment is where people feel safe. They have a self. They they have a sense of belonging. They feel connected to other members of the team. They feel connected to the organization, and they have a sense of shared purpose with everyone. So we were just talking about it with the photography relationship, but I'll think about it like a, you know, a marketing team. So, you, you know, safety, um, like people feeling safe. I just think people, when, um, when they feel safe and they feel more um, emboldened to try new ideas, they're more emboldened to share ideas uh, or things that uh, might, you know, they might fail, but they feel okay doing that. Um, because they feel like they're in a safe environment. And when people don't feel safe, they don't want to bring new ideas to the table. They're, they're, they're afraid that there'll be like, you know, bad consequences to that. I think people want to have a sense of belonging and belonging is different than fitting in. You, you know, I think when people go to work, they want to feel like they're welcome to bring their unique ideas and their unique self to the table. And that's appreciated. Um, and I think, uh, you know, in a healthy environment, leaders encourage that. That's what diversity really is, is bringing unique perspectives, unique people uh, to the table uh, to round out ideas. Uh, I think when people feel connected, it means they feel like they're seen and that they're heard and that they're uh, valued. And I think people want to feel connected to the team members, but also to the company purpose, right? So every team that I work with, whether it's you on an objective that we need to get a video or my team on our broader marketing objectives, they know specifically what we're trying to accomplish and what the goals are. They know what metrics constitute success, and they can also see what they do is contributing to that success. You know, and I think, um, you, you know, that an environment that fosters that kind of teamwork and growth where you set parameters, but you hold people to, you know, they're accountable to doing it. They want to be a part of that. And that's basically kind of what my leadership style is. I also think that the teams that I've been fortunate enough to work with, they laugh a lot. Yeah. And, you, you know, they, I don't know, it's, they have a good sense of humor, but they laugh a lot. And one of the biggest signs that people feel safe and comfortable is when you hear laughter. Yeah. And we, we probably do more laughing than we do actually getting anything done, I feel like, when we're working together. Well, hopefully it's both. We tend to come out of there with some videos. We do. <laughs> we might be, it might take us a little while to get there. I do feel like in my business, we have what we call one offs and we have, um, brand partnerships. One-offs are, you know, your classic, hey, we need a video for our website, but once they have it, they don't need another video for three to five years. Your the the companies that we build relationships with, the brand partners, I prefer that because I like 
building that synergy with a company. I like building a synergy with a team, learning what they need. And I never feel like I get relaxed and, and slack off. It's actually the opposite. The more ingrained we become, the more I want to help them achieve whatever goal it is. And I know the more that the more ingrained we become, the same is true for them, the more that they want to see me succeed. And so I feel like having that synergy has been huge in my business. It's what I prefer. Like most of my, like tar my target clientele today is going to be a, a brand that I can build a relationship with. And having good leadership is key to that. And that's something that I know that you and your team have always brought to the table on every project we've ever done. Yeah. Well, I think you also like, you, you know, the, I, I think that you like when we've been shooting videos together, you've become part of the team. And I know that you, you know, it's not like, hey, we're ready to shoot. Let's call Josh. I, I think that, you know, a lot of folks on my team, hey, we're shooting this. The script's halfway there. What do you think mm -hmm. uh, about this as well? And I think when you, you, you know, you have that relational, relational element to it, you feel more beholden to doing your very best. Now, there's also those transactional things. And even if it's a one-off, you're going to do your very best. Yeah. You don't understand as much about it. You're not as deeply ingrained in it. And once sure. you get more deeply ingrained, usually there's more that you can bring to it. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's more invested and everyone has a better understanding. Even you guys having a better understanding of how like I work. So you can know what that expectation is in terms of project sites, delivery, things of that nature. Um, and one, one other question I have for you too is how do you decide what the intended objective for a video is? You've used the word objective several times in this podcast, but how do you, how do you define what that objective is? Is it just leading to sales or leading in employer branding, leading to top recruits? How do you decide that? Uh, some of it is quantitative and some of it's qualitative. You, you, you know, uh, some of it will like it, when I'll write down objectives, it'll say, you know, heighten the firm's profile with a electric utility audience supporting our, you, you know, X, Y service, you, you know. And so how am I um, how am I doing that? Uh, other very specific objectives will be quantitative. How many people am I going to bring back to the website? How many people, you, you know, from there go on to, you, you know, do we make a sale? That's a little harder one to go on to. But you have qualitative uh, objectives and you have quantitative objectives. Some of the longer term branding, differentiating, you know, yourself based on some of your core brand pillars is a longer term thing than the... Um, than the social and the web metrics that you're trying to drive. Each video, each post contributes to our overall goals for our website, our overall goals as well. So, you know, we're, we're keeping track of uh, metrics. You, you know, when I'm working with a corporation or with a client, reviewing them, taking a look on a monthly basis, reviewing them on a quarterly basis, seeing if there's anything kind of happening. And then, you know, at least every six months going like, do we have the right metrics? Are there any major issues? How do we need to pivot uh, in order to address any issues that we have? Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. All right. So I guess what I'm going to do to wrap us up here is I, like what one, what can people do to find more information about you? Where can they go? What's your website? Your so any social presence you have. And then two, like what's next for you and your business? 
Well, um, you know, basically I'm focusing on um, AEC industry, uh, utility segment. Um, I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, I've led marketing teams at AEC and utility industry, so there's experience there. But it's also just those are really interesting industries to me. You know, infrastructure, whether it's transportation or electric or telecom or energy, these are big industries that drive our economy. They connect people physically. They connect people digitally. Um, they're important and they're really interesting to me. And they're also dynamic and changing industries right now. So, you know, Blueprint is going to launch within a week or so. It'll be uh, blueprintadv.com blueprintadvisors.com, but blueprintadv.com. And then uh, we'll launch in social and I'll start to get some thought leadership content uh, rolling and then hopefully do more um, podcasts with Josh. <laughs> we'll have to start uh, brand advising with Michael. That'll yeah. be the next podcast. <laughs> uh, we could do that too. Yeah, that's a good idea. That is a great idea. Well, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, be sure to check out Michael's work. Michael and I have had a lot of good times together. We've had some challenging and interesting times and a lot of laughs, but Michael has done a great job of putting uh, our teams in, into position for success over the last few years. And um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and just being a part of this. I, I would like to bring you on for another one. These are great. I have more questions I didn't even get to. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. I'll be happy to answer those uh, questions in the future, man. Thank I do. You. Thank you for having me. I do have one last question, though. All right. And th and I actually have this in all caps. What are your thoughts on my mobile recording studio? I think it's awesome. Uh, I've never been in such a high tech facility uh, before. Um, and by your mobile recording studio, I think you mean your truck. Right? <laughs> My truck, that's like our sound booth. Yeah, and I love I love when we're recording something in the summertime. Oh, and with the air off. With the air off. And, you, you know, I'm just, whoever's reading, I'm like, listen, I'd really love it if you got this in one take. <laughs> you got two takes, that's it. <laughs> two reads. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we've done things, you, you know, like kind of in studio, but every once in a while we're uh, out on the, uh, yeah, out on location and the quiet of the interior of the car just works really well. And there's no echo or reverb. And yeah. it sounds good, doesn't it? It does sound good. But you're sweating like crazy. You should get a sign that you just like hang from your mirror. I mean, like, and it says like mobile studio whenever we're doing that. In session, yeah, recording in session. In session. Yeah. yeah, I will never forget being with you in the middle of nowhere, Missouri in a parking, in a park, parked oh, in a yeah. parking lot of park with me and oh, you. And another employee recording a voiceover as children ran by, just three guys. and. Yeah, three guys <laughs> sitting in a car. In a a I think we rented a Camaro, didn't we? I don't know what or a Corvette. Well, you you rented a vet. I did not. I would not do that with company money, and three people wouldn't be able to fit into that car. I I won't comment any further, guys. For more information on filming with Josh, make sure to go check out the filming with Josh. Um, tab on my website or the, join the Filming with Josh group on Facebook. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe to it and uh, leave some comments below to let us know what you like about it. And if you don't like the podcast, let me know as well so I can know what to do better next time. Uh, thanks again, Michael, for hopping on. I'll see you guys next week. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.